Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 88 Taylor the Immortal Artist. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Melly Doucette's table in the Levitating Platter. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast in my humbly biased opinion. This episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests is brought to you by our first sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda is the mastermind behind his mastercraft of beer bombs, game design, and community building. He's got beard bombs named after all the basic stats from D&D, so get a can, apply it to your face, and smell the sweet aroma and the sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Beards and Beyond is the indie RPG that helped to launch this brand, but Tony's collaborated and developed several other projects, including Repugnant Eye Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brainstaining. If you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something on their website or going to tonyplus1.itch.io, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So please go follow Tony and Plus One EXP on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, in order to keep up with all the various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these awesome games. And when you go to the website plus1exp.com and you see that affiliate code box, go ahead and type in Randolph when you're buying a beard bomb or a beard RPG in order to get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you. Again, the code's Randolph at checkout on the website plus1exp.com. Without further delay, hello, mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? Tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do? Hello, hello. I am Millie Doucette, um, and I am a, uh, I'm the director of community and content with Demiplane RPG, um, but a lot of folks listening might know me as the previous community manager for D&D Beyond at when it was at fandom uh is also the community manager for cortex role-playing game at fandom uh and contributed to some of the of the design in the tales of xavier role-playing game as well uh yeah so i'm just a big fan of tabletop games and the community around tabletop games and that's what i do for my day job which is such a a gift to have yeah no it's awesome uh we have a 
a little bit of overlap because I know you have been a guest of uh, my good buddy there, Andrew Strother on Roll for Persuasion, which is how Heck I first yeah. heard of you. And then, of course, I was very fortunate to be able to have interviews with uh, Mr. Travis Frederick and uh, Joshua Simons. And so it's like I'm slowly collecting just demi-plane people. <laughs> I mean, there are like only 16 or so of us, so it's not going to be too hard for you to collect us all um, and just eventually have part ownership in Denny Plane. Clearly that's how it works. You interview people and if you get enough of them, now you own it. Ah, right? brilliant. Yeah, I use Demi Plane for my home game that I run and uh, we're all spread out everywhere. So it's really helpful. Although, you know, some people miss playing at the table, but this is the next best thing that we can do. We really appreciate yeah. it. So yeah, that's definitely my feeling as well. Definitely miss the table, but if there has to be another way, it's a pretty good way. And uh, I think this is a pretty good, easy lead-in to the next question of, uh, do you currently or have you ever played D&D before? I have played before. I'm semi in between games at this exact moment. Semi, there's there's things there. But yes, I've been playing D&D um, since I was in uh, 10th grade. I don't know what the equivalent of that is in the United States. But, we go you know. through, yeah, we go one through 12. Yeah, right, 10th grade. I, like, I don't know. You have special words for things. And I'm like, we just use the numbers. The, the flu lobby. Yeah, the flu yeah, lobby. That's that the one. grade. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in 10th grade. And so I've been playing since then. That was 3.5 days. Um, mm. And now, uh, yeah, I still play. I still play tons of role playing games right now. I'm in between some stuff, so I've got a, uh, you know, a paid game that I I GM for that we just finished an arc, so we have a little bit of a break before the next set, and uh, I am going to be starting in a playing in a spell jammer game soonish, and then I have oh. another game that uh, is a little bit on hold because of schedules, but mm. is just this group that I've been playing with for a while. Um, so I've got a few few games happening, but just not at this exact moment. And if I recall from your episode interview that you did with Andrew, you kind of explained the Cortex system and it's kind of like this very agnostic sort of like tool set and you can really use it to customize. You're like, okay, I like honey badgers. I like secret agents, but I also like the intrigue of Malaysian politics. Okay, we're going to make an RPG game out of this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So so the base Cortex Prime system, and Cortex has been around for a while, but this latest version kind of started with the Cortex Prime game handbook, which is literally a toolbox to make your own role-playing game. There's like a core system, which is a, a roll and keep base. Like you build a dice pool, you roll them and you keep two of the dice to, for a total. Um, and it's, it's built to be, you know, kind of whatever you want it to be using some of the tools and traits that are introduced there or that have been introduced in Cortex games past. They've had Firefly and Smallville and Marvel Heroic Roleplaying. So they've had lots of great games and a lot of those mechanics are pulled back into this Cortex Prime toolbox. You can kind of make whatever you want with it. Uh, and then they also have, you know, in that book, a few pre-made games for like examples and just to like try it out. And then there's also the Tales of Zadia role-playing game that came out back at the end of March, which mm -hmm. is the official Dragon Prince role-playing game using that same Cortex yeah. system. But it's just one example of how to like put all those mechanics together. Um, so I'm a big fan of the Cortex system, even though I'm not working with them anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I still have so much love for, for that team and everything they're doing and everything they're going to be putting out in the the coming time and I play it all the time still because it's just so fun it's so like narrative it's kind of like you are literally kind of like playing a tv show or a movie at mm. the table 
because it is so much like, okay, this thing is in our heads and that's how it actually feels like it's playing out at the table. Um, so I'm a big, big fan of it. If you definitely, if you like a bit of a looser feeling at the table, it really hits the spot. Dragon Prince show on Netflix was one that my wife and I surprisingly enjoyed. And so then we heard uh, like, oh, the, you know, they actually have like their own role playing game. Nowadays, people will be like, what? There isn't a role playing game for yeah. that already? It's like, well, yeah, now there is now. Yep, there is now. And they are, I believe they're working on uh, the second book for it right now. So there's going to even be even more of that content. And they've got like the fourth season of the TV show at the end of the year. So there's just like so much cool Dragon Prince stuff happening. And I, I, I mean, I love the Dragon Prince. So it was a joy to get to work on that project. Like, oh my gosh, best experience. On this podcast, we like to ask the hard-hitting questions here about favorite sidekicks and favorite side quests. So out of all the games you've ever played, out of all the literature you've ever read, etc., who is your favorite sidekick, NPC, and why? Super difficult question, and I've been thinking about it, like, especially, uh, I, you know, knowing that that was sort of like the thing to expect on sidekicks and side quests. I was like, what would it be? There's so many options. And I just kept coming back for, for my sidekick, for the NPC. I keep coming back to Serana from Skyrim. Mm. Um, if she comes in one of the DLCs and, you know, she's your companion, she's a vampire, and she just adds so much depth and stuff. She's voiced also by Laura Bailey, mm. uh, you know, D&D royalty, oh. Laura Bailey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the, <laughs> the mandatory harps that have to play every time. Her yeah, name is exactly. Said. Uh, she's, you know, just an incredible character. And like the depth that you have with her compared to like any other companion in that game, because you can have so many companions. And most of them are pretty like, you know, generally pretty neutral because they're sort of just there. They may have like one quest associated with them, but otherwise, you know, they're mostly there. As Lydia in Skyrim would say, they're sworn to carry my burdens. They are a person who will carry all the stuff that I have run out of room to carry. Thank you very much for being here. And then <laughs> Serana, on the other hand, is super developed, has all these great lines and one-liners that she says as you go through the game. And it's, I can never ever pick like a different companion. I'm always just like, oh, it's time for vampires. All right, Serana, get over here <laughs> and never leave my side ever again. Thank you. Yeah, who doesn't love a good buddy vampire around? Exactly. And then, of course, same token, what has been one of your favorite side quests, whether it's from an RPG, video game, movie, television, literature, etc., and why is it your favorite side quest? Yeah, I I mean, I definitely, I do love side plots in, in a lot of shows and stuff, but I am a gamer, so I will go with the side quest option. Um, <laughs> although I will just say, I do love, like, a good side plot, I like usually better than the main plot. I think it's part of just, like, being a gay person. You're just like, oh, this little side thing? I'm gonna just, that's my thing. This is my weird corner, and this is mine. The main characters, I don't care about them. These things I like. Um, but side quest in a, in a video game, for me, um, Kingdom Hearts 2 has uh, you know this extended series of side quests for the um, Hundred Acre Wood world, the Winnie the Pooh world in it. Aww. And it is heart-wrenching. Um, and I, I love having my heart torn out and stomped on um, whenever I am enjoying any piece of media. Toy with my emotions. Thank you. Make me cry. I love it more. Um, and that really does it for me. So, you know, in the first game, you have the Hundred Acre Wood side quest and the main character, Sora, develops this great relationship with Winnie the Pooh. And it's adorable because it's Winnie the Pooh and you love it. And then in the second one, you come back and, you know, this these 
evil creatures have torn up the book. And so when you go back into it and start bringing these pages back, nobody remembers you. And it's heartbreaking. And even as you go through, like, other people start to remember you, but Winnie the Pooh still doesn't. It's like this whole thing. And it's so emotional and sad. It just kind of got me. I think I especially played it kind of towards the end of my, you know, teenagehood. You know, Mm. I started like growing up and I was like, this is really hitting the exact moment in my life where this is going to have the biggest saddest impact of like letting go of kind of my my youth in this moment so it really is just a beautiful beautiful side quest yeah i mean it's like the mcgregor movie the live action winnie the pooh that came out and i was like oh i didn't know i was going to cry so much but what else should i have expected yeah as soon as they're just anything like where it's like winnie the pooh but we're gonna deal with adulthood and like letting go and i'm like okay that's that hurts that hurts a lot that is specifically targeted at me thanks for that okay all right well to round out the personal interview section we like to ask the question what are you passionate about and why i am passionate about so many things um uh, and i and i rotate through things that i'm passionate about um but i think it really always comes back to i really love stories and storytelling and the questions of why we tell stories and how stories impact the world around us and the power that they have. And I think that's why I gravitate towards role-playing games and video games. And, you know, I also am a big fan of, I read a lot and I watch a lot of TV and movies. So just like anything that has stories, I'm always very, very interested to explore. And that kind of started as a kid. I was super into mythology as a kid every kind of mythology I could get my hands on. I was, that that was my, like, there were like horse girls. I was the mythology girl. Uh, mm. I was very much like, I know all of these Greek gods and all these Egyptian stories. I know all of these uh, native Canadian stories. And so it was always a big passion that just kind of grew into every book that I could get my hands on and like looking at not just the story that's being told, but like how those stories that are being told impact the real world because of what they say and what they do. Because you see so much in the past of like, hey, this story, which, you know, is a story that maybe if it came out today, wouldn't stand on its own, but it was revolutionary at its time. And why is that? And so I think it's just really, really interesting how powerful that can be and how we can all do it. We can all tell stories in some form or another, um, whether that's, you know, writing or art or even just like talking to people uh, or role playing, you know, you can really, anybody can do it and anybody can share in that experience and anybody can enjoy it too. You can accept the stories that people tell you and like dive into them, even just as a viewer or a reader or whatever. Um, And so I think it's just this kind of universal thing. And it's really curious to see how different people in different cultures and different times interact with that thing that we shared for eternity. There we go. Fantastic answer. Now that we've learned so much about our guest, I think it's time we head into a segment that I like to call NPC creation. NPC Creation is brought to you by you, the podcast audience, and our patrons on Patreon. Now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey, and my mom and dad, we say cheers. This is for patrons who donate at $2 or more a month. These three individuals are among my highest tier patrons, so that means they get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables here in NPC Creation. 
So you may see those options uh, used whenever we're rolling the dice. If you want to know more and join the cheapest podcast Patreon community out there, check the show notes below, go to my podcast website, or go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests to find out more about our three tiers of membership, one to four dollars a month, and help us expand our operations at the levitating platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond. It's NPC creation time, so uh, before we started rolling, we decided on the path of random of rolling the dice. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. I should actually probably grab dice. Should I grab dice? I got yeah. a big oh, yeah. dice. Listeners can't see this because this is an mm-hmm. audio medium, but uh, Melly is holding a very large uh, device that seems to contain a multitude of polyhedral rocks. Yes. I mentioned Laura Bailey earlier. This is the official critical role Laura Bailey stack of dice. And this is, this is, these are my, um, dice that aren't as nice. This is just kind of like my extra handy ones that can just sit on the table for everybody. I also have a wall of dice that is, are my, like my really nice sets, you know, the, the resin sets and the metal and the glass and the precious gems. Those are on the shelf. This is just plastic dice. (laughs) Well, wonderful. Um, so we go through a standard array of dice as we explore these questions and figure out who our character is going to be. Uh, So the very first question we start with is, what is going to be the name of our character? And we determine that by rolling a d20. A d20. All right. Here we go. All right. Four. Four. numbers. Oh, so your answer provided by your boss, Travis Frederick, Taylor. (laughs) Taylor. Thanks, Travis. Yeah. All right. Good good name, my boss. You are so good at names. Thank you. Oh, the greatest. Yes. And now we get to roll for the ancestry of Taylor. Let's figure out what our version of Taylor is going to be by rolling a D100 or two D10s. Excellent. I do have 91. 91 as I scroll down the list. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you have a choice here. You can either have Taylor be a Minotaur or one of the Yakaria or the Yak folk. Yak folk? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they come from one of the published adventures. I decided I felt like my D100 table wasn't random enough. So I was like, I'm going to go through all the published adventures. There's probably like some ancestries back here that have the ability to be perfectly reasonable NPCs. And so I beefed up my um, ancestry table here. And so it's hopefully now out there in the general uh, community. Now we'll have some more varied and interesting NPCs to deploy. I love it. I'm definitely making a yak folk. There we go. Is that what you said what's called? Yeah. Y-I-K-A-R-I-A. Yakaria is how I would pronounce it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Kayla the Yakaria. All right. Cool. I love it. The next question that we have to roll for is what is going to be the job or role in society for Taylor? So this will require us to roll just a regular D10. One. One. Okay. Uh, your answer provided by Beth May of the Dungeons and Daddies podcast, caricature artist. Okay. This is fence. This is adorable. I love it. Okay. Caricature artist. Oh, right. I love it. I'm yeah, I'm already thinking about how she actually just uses like hoofs 
and like it's very blocky very abstract character art and then like use like her nose to just sort of like really form things she's definitely a very natural kind of artist i'm already getting a sense and then the last thing that we're going to roll for before we take a small pause in dice rolling is we need to figure out the age range of our character. We'll right. roll a D8 for that. D8. Well, should floor dice count? If you want it to. Uh, an eight. Okay. Well, if we stick with that, Taylor's immortal. Woo! An immortal caricature artist. I. This is so cool. I love it. All right. Well, as I said, we get to pause now with the dice rolling. So the question is now, uh, describe the physical appearance of Taylor. So when you envision a caricature artist that's immortal and is a yak folk named Taylor, what are you seeing? Yeah, yeah she, she stands decently tall. She's not like ridiculously tall, especially by like fantasy race standards. You know, she's probably like 5'10", 5'11", not like over six or seven feet. She's pretty tall. She's like kind of a stoop to her back. Maybe if she stood up straight, she would actually be like that tall. But she's got that big stoop, you know, that yaks have kind of that that bigger hump on their back. Mm. So she's got kind of that going on. She has just like this hanging uh, blue steel sort of like hair and fur that just kind of like is filled with kind of these little gems and knickknacks and flowers. And I think that her horns are definitely, that's where it really shows how old she is. Her horns are ridiculously long and curve, uh, kind of like how there's those uh, Guinness World Records for really long fingernails, but not as gross because mm. they're horns. So that's nice. But it is just like, those are way too long. Like that is so <laughs> strange. And you can really see sort of like the tips of them are a bit more brittle because they've been around for so, so long. Uh, mm. And I think definitely like they're they're painted. And whenever it kind of, there's places where it's rubbed or washed off. So it is like missing places because it's not permanent. It's so smudged a lot. Um, and I think that she kind of carries... Uh, you know, lots of these satchels and bags, like she's, you know, yak folk. I'm getting a sense that they can carry a lot, even if they don't look like they could. So she's just has like almost like a Sherpa, like has this big giant bag that she carries that is full of different natural uh, pigments and minerals and things that she uses to create these caricatures. Uh, so she definitely like has just a very imposing wide silhouette. She's just like is that kind of wider person, but then also just has this giant bag that's almost bigger than her that adds to just this almost round shape that she carries and appears as she walks about. I was trying to do some uh, reading up on Yak Vogue just to remind myself. Uh, apparently it says they're ogre-sized humanoids. So if, if she's only if she's 5'11", and she's carrying this huge bag, I imagine it's super heavy. So probably if she did stand up, yeah. she'd be, you know considerably taller but she only appears 5'11 just because she's Definitely. loaded down with all this stuff and she's you know she she does like look like she's immortal but she she looks like an older woman like she looks like you know a 60 or 70 year old woman she looks very like you she wouldn't seem like a threat mm-hmm. like she looks like someone you could take advantage of but of course she's immortal so i ask questions of like could you really take advantage of her uh but yeah definitely if she stood up straight she'd be a pretty imposing figure yeah do you already have an idea of kind of how or why she is immortal is it you know like oh she's really the guise of some sort of trickster god and she just wanders around and 
draws all these abstract, strange caricatures of people that she meets, or she was blessed by the gods, or she found something and she just is like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm just alive and I'm just going to do my thing. Or, or what are you thinking? Yeah, I think she's maybe some kind of like, you know, spirit or envoy of a god of like, of, of memory or history or something. And she's one of many. So there are other ones that, you know, do these things in different ways, but like hers is she captures this essence of things and people, um, not, you know, the actual legitimate form, but that suggestion of it. It gets that, you know, energy and that emotion of it. And it's not, you know, to take it from somebody, it's to record it uh, mm. in, in, you know, sort of this deific sense, like at this, these, these things, she doesn't even necessarily need to keep them. It's the creating of them. By creating it, it almost makes these things permanent. It kind of helps history survive. It kind of goes back to my, you know, love of storytelling. It's how do we make things, you know, that last, that that stay in our memories. And I think that's kind of what she does is by creating these caricatures, it almost cements that these people existed, that they were here. And then does she record them for her own personal record keeping or is she like how we understand modern caricature artists whenever we go to like uh, the boardwalk or we go to some restaurant that has a kitschy theme and then they're like, oh, hey, pay 20 bucks to this artist and I'll just whip up a caricature of you real fast. And then like, oh, here you go. Like how, how does I think how it, does I think it is, it, it goes for them. It, it is for them. They take it. It is her act of creating it is almost that offering to that God. And so creating it kind of gives that to the God, whoever that is. And then, you know, you give it to that person and that person now has sort of this thing, this essence and, you know, whether they keep it or they toss it away or they, it gets passed down or whatever it is, you know, it exists. It is, it is a real memory, a real thing. And I think there's a power to it, whether the people who receive it know there's a power to it or not. And so maybe there's even a question of like, do you, when you, you know, find this woman and you decide, oh yeah, I'll pay, I'll pay silver for a caricature. Do you realize that the thing that you've received has a power to it? You know, what happens if you do realize or what happens if you don't realize? Uh, does, I think it's kind of interesting things to play with if somebody's using this NPC in their game. Does the caricature have a power within it? Does it qualify as like how we would think of like a spell scroll or something like that? Yeah. Or is it like a ancient tome or I don't know, or what, what yeah. value does it have? Yeah, I think also anybody who's thinking about using this NPC, you know, look at um in in whatever fantasy world you're in onomancy that true naming maybe this ties into that and it's like a, a visual form of true naming like this is that capturing that essence so what is the power that that holds and maybe that's not exactly what it is but i think that'd be a curious thing to to look at and true naming is just a fun trope that i i really enjoy in fantasy media well if we had to describe our tailor with three adjectives what three adjectives would you use Oh, I think that she is I'm trying to think of the exact word. Quick, let me get my thesaurus. I know. I'm just like, oh, no, I, I like I can see her in my head. And I can feel the vibe, but I'm also just trying to come up. I think like spiritual is one. I think quiet. I don't think she's she's not overbearing. She's she doesn't talk much, especially not compared to me. Um, she's definitely more careful with her words. I think that she's she's very astute Interesting. you know she's got that insightfulness like she can really she can look at somebody and she 
she can read them. And that's, you know, part of being the character artist for that it really is like, you know, she would, she would look at one of your characters, GMs, when you're listening to this, she would look at one of your characters and she would know that thing that they don't tell somebody else. She sees it. Mm, all right. Excellent. And now the part we've all waited for back to dice rolling. All of our NPCs got to have something cool on them or know something cool. So what's going to be a valuable item, piece of lore, secret, or ideal or concept that the character ascribes to? So this is a combination. So you roll a D4 first for the category. Okay. Two. Lore. Okay. Seems, oh, this is perfect. Yeah, seems perfect. And uh, now you get to roll a D6 to figure out what piece of lore Taylor knows. Three. Three. Aha! Your answer was provided by our podcast Patreon sponsor, Goblin Katie, a.k.a. Uh, Katie, Katie. Get Downey. You know all about Aboleths because your family line is indebted to one. Ooh. So what does this mean for Taylor? I think, well, Aboleths, they, if I'm remembering correctly, like, they can, like, eat memories. Yeah, so and they're supposed to be this... like these, yeah, Cthulhu, uh, Eldritch yeah. sort of horrors that they existed before the birth of the gods and all this yeah. sort of kind of stuff. So I do think that it that it kind of ties that instead of kind of more of this, I was thinking of this god of you know memory or experience or something, but no, it's it's an ancient abolith, and you know this is maybe a deal that was struck, um, and she's immortal, um, but she does you know, now she needs to kind of serve this purpose for her family. I think like to keep her, the, like her, the, you know, her descendants who don't probably, I don't even know that she is still around. She's just been around for so long, but she protects them by serving this Aboleth and trying to do it in the kindest way possible. But yes, there is that essence of something that goes to that Aboleth mm. whenever she makes one of these portraits. And so it's a way to like satiate or keep the Abolith's wrath at bay so it doesn't like rise up and try and take over yeah. the world or something. Yeah. Ooh. See, I told you that it swings and all of a sudden. It does. It I was like, this is going to be a very benevolent thing. And I'm like, oh, no, it's an ancient evil Abolith that is eating caricatures. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then we get to the last question here uh, where we have the ability to roll the dice if you want to generate that side quest randomly that uh Taylor's going to be willing to offer player characters to go and do you'd roll a d12 or if you're inspired you know i do allow that as well uh you can go ahead and suggest uh, a side quest that you think I would be do love a d12 it's my favorite die but i have i have two side quests in mind one of them being just you know a, an easy one for maybe younger characters earlier on in your gameplay is, you know, just a, like a fetch style quest of getting a rare, unique kind of ingredient uh, for uh, like a pigment, you know, that kind of thing. And a higher level quest would be her trying to lead them to this Aboleth to have them destroy it. Um, which I think, you know, she she maybe is limited in what she can say, almost uh, like in the adventure zone balance, you know, that the void fish blanking out things that they can say i think she can't because abolus again they they take things they control things and so i think she can't give them as much information she has to be really careful about it all but she would want to like lead them and encourage them to go and do this and whether she can survive without the Ab abolus being alive i think would be an interesting thing for a, a a game master to explore 
Yeah, certainly if you need more information on Aboleths, I recommend the podcast Kill Every Monster because they did a whole episode on Aboleths. So if you kind of want to figure out, well, what's the Aboleth like that uh, Taylor has to serve, that would be my place uh, to go to and recommend. Certainly helps me as a dungeon master to be able to play the monsters a little bit cooler. So, okay. That's a great podcast. Okay, so with these kind of two sort of side quests, these tiered side quests in mind based on, oh, is it like a lower level versus a higher level or one leads into the other, you know, maybe earn trust before she's willing to be like, all right, well, now I need you to go and slay wee beastie beneath the mountain deep. So what is going to be the reward of the respective side quest if the heroes come back and they're successful? Well, for that earlier one, you could go with, if you decide to kind of go with this idea of these uh, caricatures having magic to them, their magical items, I think you could go with like her doing a caricature being a reward for those fetch quests. Alternatively, you know, it could be information, you know, her being somebody who's traveled for so long with so much that she could potentially be a source of, of knowledge. So I think that that's a great angle as well. And then if, you know, you go through that uh, destroying the Aboleth. One option in my head is, th- is that, you know, without the Aboleth, she can't have this immortality. So she 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 would turn to dust or whatever, turn into to just memory. But it's what she would leave behind. What are these things she's gathered over her time? You know, you could really be uh, creative about the kinds of things that she's got in that big pack that aren't just pigments. Like, what are the other things that she's gathered over the years? And I think especially for, uh, you know, wizards and similar uh, artificers and similarly like (laughs) characters that are really interested in information and uh, knowledge of various kinds spells it could be interesting for for her to have some of those rarer things oh she has this box of seemingly random cards they all have different (laughs) pictures on them and of course it's her very own she's she drew them herself these are you know, the Yakaria version of a Ooh. deck of many things. Ooh, I wonder what a Yak Folk version of a deck of many things would be. Like, ho- hopefully maybe more good than bad, or is it more bad than good, or is it just even wash? I feel like it would have to be an even wash. I'm getting a sense of these, these Yak Folk people being, you know, again, I think like just nature in general, it gives and it takes away. You gotta have that balance. But I think you I think it'd be a little bit different than deck of many things. I think it'd be fun to explore like what are the things that could be maybe more like almost taking it from an angle of like if a druid, an arch druid were to craft a deck of many things instead of an arcane item, it was more of a primal item, you know, what would that be? Interesting. Yeah, and probably maybe even if she's made these, you know, if we're going with the idea of like, you know, what's really cool. I mean, it could be anything, you know, we, we're certainly leaving it up to dungeon masters, game masters to decide what they leave. I was thinking in my head like, oh, a Vorpal Sword or a Holy Avenger or Rod of Seven Parts or, you know, some of these other mythical sorts of things that like, how am I ever going to plausibly be able to introduce this in the game? But um, taking that idea certainly of uh, you know Taylor's cards of magic or something like that that'd yeah. be really cool to f- kind of figure that out especially if it has like an aboleth sort of a theme on a yes. couple of the cards yeah there's a bit of like this great old one side of it but there's also this like primal nature druidic like bring those two things together in a really interesting way I'm also like 
you know, imagining, um, you know, so many like, again, fantasy stories of like, you know, you can see these pictures and you can reach in and take something. And so what are in these cards that maybe you can reach in and grab, like literally Ooh. take the art out. So maybe there's single use. Oh, I see. So way. kind of like a, what is it? The robe, the robe of useful items where you can like yeah. rip a patch yeah, yeah. off. So the card is literally like Yu-Gi-Oh or a Pokemon. You like throw the card down and it just poof, turns into the thing or something. Yeah. Yeah, like a bit like, yeah, a bit like Yu-Gi-Oh, a bit like uh, Card Captor Sakura, like where she's got the cloud cards and they have these like things in them. And so again, a bunch of them could be very troublesome. And so what are you stuck with? Uh, but it could be very fun. And again, uh, more angles for you to play with as, as a game moderator of just what are the different things that I can explore, you know, now that they have this magical ancient art-based item. All right, but we also have to consider what's going to be the consequence of failure if the players refuse to take the bait or if they fail the quest. What's going to be the consequence of that? I mean, I think if you really want to make this, you know, Abela thing into, you know, a bigger part of your story, uh, you know, you have to look at like, what is this Abela's goal of collecting all of these, these characters, this information? How is it being stated? Does, you know, through them failing the quest, I think that side of it, through them failing to destroy the Aboleth, however that happens, probably, you know, the Aboleth would realize that Taylor has done it wrong. And so, you know, now it is no longer sated. It is no longer accepting this deal because she sort of broke the deal. So then what does it do? What does it, what does it want now? Um, and so probably, you know, it wouldn't be too good for Taylor. Um, and it probably would, wouldn't be good for the world because now it doesn't just want caricatures. Now it's like, well, you know, I'm just going to keep eating. I'm going to keep on getting more and getting bigger and getting more. Uh, and I think refusing the call is a similar thing of like, there's a building background of like, yeah, it's only getting these caricatures. It's not as strong as maybe other things, but like, if it keeps on going, how long, you know, Taylor's been around for how long, how much longer before this thing becomes a threat or this thing is no longer sated by this art and it wants more and it asks her for more you know what is she going to be forced to do is she going to become you know an unwilling antagonist well it sounds like we've got an amazing character and you know what we like to do with amazing characters on this podcast we like to throw them into a random encounter This random encounter is brought to you by Reaper Miniatures. They've been Texas Titans of the tabletop industry since 1994. They're right here in DFW, and they've got an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories, and they stream on Twitch and YouTube with tutorials and interviews. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a mini for you. Every time you shop with them, you know, spending about 40, 50 bucks on your purchase, they're going to give you a cool new mini of the month, and it's always something new, so all the more incentive to check back often. Reaper Miniatures Bone 6 Tales from the Green Griffin has wrapped up, uh, but you can still be involved. You know, just hop on over with the backer kit uh, to get you some cool minis in the coming future. Of course, also want to give a shout out to Reaper as well, because I did check my email inbox and got another gift card from them. So thank you very much for the continued affiliate relationship we still have. And of course, the charity relief effort mini, uh, the Kenku Bird Nightingale Bard character. Uh, you can pick that up on Reaper's website or in their store. 
uh, for $9.99, and of that, $7.50 will be reallocated towards relief efforts uh, in the Ukraine. If you visit my website and or you check out the show notes below, you can see that there's a referral link uh, to go on over to Reaper Mini's websites. And by clicking that link, you're supporting Sidekicks and SideQuests at the same time. That link goes to show the traffic that we bring their way. So the more traffic, the more that our Texas powers combine. So again, go check the link out on my website or in the show notes below in order to use that link. And be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. All right, we are here in the random encounter section. So we like to give a voice, a life to our NPCs. That way those listening in the audience have an idea of what this character is going to sound like. So obviously, Melly, I think you got to be Taylor. Oh, yeah. But the question becomes, who am I going to be in the scene? Number of different ways. Like it could be the ancient evil Aboleth. It could be just a random person in a town or something that she's meeting, or it could be one of my podcast adventure characters that perhaps she wants to recruit in either one of the side quests, whether one leads to the other will remain to be seen. But what kind of scene are you interested in exploring? Oh, what? you should be the Aboleth. Oh, I should be the Aboleth. Yeah. Is this like the beginning of their pact? Is this like, um, you know, reporting in? Or is this just like a, a cross time and space and distance like the Aboleth and Taylor talking to each other? I think that this is going to be kind of the moment that is sort of maybe a catalyst for Taylor to want to seek adventures to help. So this is the moment where maybe, you know, the Aboleth is less satisfied. Like it's been so long and this is like where the Aboleth has become maybe impatient or dissatisfied or wants a change. And, you know, this is, that's that moment where like, there's a threat, there's an ultimatum almost of, all right, what are the options? What are the options that Taylor has in response to whatever this, this conversation is? What are the, you know, options that the Aboleth provides or the threats it gives? I think we are in, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, dark, you know, abyssal, almost deep under dark, you know, you got that aberration side of things in this, you know, underwater cavern. Think like, you know, if you went down the Marianas Trench and then you dug through, you know, some of the stone and you found this small pocket uh, and this is where this abolith is is resting for now. This isn't where it would live if it was hunting naturally, but it is where it has agreed to rest and you know Taylor being this immortal you know creature granted uh power through this aboleth can can sort of come and go almost like astral projection style mm. um but definitely like not not in a way where she's safe from anything that's happening because the aboleth is controlling it and you know has it has her life on a string um but she's she gets summoned in mm. and you know kind of appears in this just you know there's the echoing drips of of water and goop uh and it is just like dark there's probably like you know bioluminescent plants casting just this this eerie glow and there is just the most massive aboleth that anybody has ever seen this is this is you know like a big daddy or mama aboleth and she gets like popped in uh, unexpectedly Uh, you, uh, 
Uh, did we have a, a meeting that I forgot about, Lord? I, I I have I have more uh, I I have and she starts to pull out uh, all these scrolls of of these characters she's done these almost like magical copies and, you know she gives one but there's this kind of you know just these things that get created on the side and she she brings them out and she's feeding them to it in some strange fashion mm-hmm. uh, and there's this uh, this this was a king who was. Um, a revolution of his people he's he's now dead but this was uh, you know this historic moment that i captured and going through these different people and this is uh, an artist and this is is uh, is a, an adventurer that uh, made a deal with with a devil uh, and began to change and is giving these and that's that's all she has it's just they're people People mm. who do things, humans and tieflings and dwarfs, they're all just people living their lives, essence of them. Yeah, and probably maybe uncharacteristically, as Taylor has been used to, she can, even in this astral projection way, get like the sense and the vibe of disinterest. Like normally, you know, this is something that the Aboleth would look forward to, but it seems like he's like disinterested, bored, short growing anger like there it almost is like the temperature the demeanor the vibe of the chamber itself is like almost being affected like even the lighting of the bioluminescence plants and creatures is even like bending to the abolet's will to like you know be like a mood ring something is wrong Well, yes, I, I mean, I have what I have. Uh, when we have a regular um, meeting, I, I will have more, but this is just so much earlier than was expected. I grow tired of waiting. Eons upon eons, ages upon ages, I have existed before the first stones rain brought from Olympus. You know, begins to speak in these very poetic sorts of ways, demonstrating just like how long it's been existing. I grow tired of my prison and you are the only one who delivers anything. Perhaps I We had a deal. Yes. I have served my part very well, yes? Yes, you I can try to, to do more. I, I don't know how much, much faster I can create, but I will do all that I can to create more, to see more, and, and bring to you.
and he just screams out psychically <laughs> echoes and reverberates and it just like yeah it's just it's like your mind being like blasted the the tips of her horns those brittle tips like shatter mm. so like when when you know people meet this npc like she does have like the, the tips of these very long horns are broken uh, just from that energy i i will do all that i can to save you i i, I promise and uh the aboleth seems satisfied with the answer that you've given seems to be more interested in his own plans and schemings and uh kind of like if you were getting like the brush off to like just all right well go off and go do your thing i've told you what i want done so just go and do it and it just is like a loop now at this point where he's just like more more feed hunger thirst mine you know just seemingly that's all he's interested in right now absolutely and when she returns to wherever she was pulled from she does everything that she can to over the years she's learned to control her thoughts and even though she has an idea building of not wanting to serve this creature she knows it it could read that if she thought it so she like forces herself not to think of the things she wants to think and thinks about different things and in different contexts like finding souls to help with this problem which for her may mean enlisting some adventurers but for the abolet it could mean something far more beneficial all right and scene wow okay well Hopefully I had a whirl of a time uh, in the editing bay just trying to put all sorts of creepy, uh, ghouly effects or something like that to make it sound sinister. Of course, I am no Aram from the Kill Every Monster podcast who just does exquisite editing work on all the effects and stuff like that. But but I try. But yeah, what you, would you think of the random encounter there with uh, Taylor and the Aboleth? I'm, I think it's great. I think it's very, it sets the stakes, you know, for any, any GM who's like, okay, yeah, I'm interested in this. There are stakes here. There are things that this Aboleth wants. Um, and, you know, do you turn Taylor into a villain through that because she is serving a creature like this? Or, you know, is she something else? It's very exciting. I love, I love intrigue based stories. So I, I, I love the unwilling villain and unwilling antagonist. That's really fun to play with. Well, we've entered into the segment that's called Final Thoughts. So this is the point, you know, where we check in with the guest. How did you think everything went and uh, and all that good sort of stuff? Oh, that was great. I'm so glad that I went with um, randomizing because I literally, I was, I was telling you this when we were on a break that I, I wouldn't have thought of this character out of the blue. I wouldn't have been able to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to make a yak folk caricature artist who serves an aboleth and is immortal. Like all of that just came out of, oh, what did we roll in the dice? Okay, what does that like make me think of? And honestly, it's one of my favorite parts about tabletop role-playing games is that you never actually know what's going to happen. Even if you're the GM, you don't know. You have no idea because you can't, you can't plan for that. You get to react to what happens at the table, what the dice say, what the other people you're playing with say. Uh, and it's just always exciting for me when I can just like sit down and randomize something and together going back and forth, we can create something that's like, oh, this is like really, really cool. And I would love to see what people do with it. I would love people to explore it. Yeah, anytime soon you think you're going to be introducing this uh, Taylor subplot into your game? Very, very tempting. I 
I might have a way to include <laughs> this character in um in the in the paid game that I run as a potential thing that ties into the rest of my kind of bigger plot that is going on. And I'm kind of tempted because it's just, I'm really like into this character now. I think that this is a really interesting, interesting plot. Awesome. So yeah, the very final moments of the podcast, I always like to leave it to the guest as far as a, a stage, a soapbox, a microphone, a platform. So, you know, plug whatever you have to plug. Where can we find you on the interwebs? You know, any final critiques or uh, criticisms or anything like that, uh, whatever is on your heart, speak it now. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm Melly Decent, and you can find me on Twitter at Melly DM. Um, and I am, again, the, the director of community and content for Demiplane RPG. So you can also find me in the Demiplane RPG spaces. I will plug two things, one of which is just if you haven't tried Cortex or Tales of Zadia. Again, you know, I'm I'm no longer even a part of the Cortex team. I am just saying this because I think it's a great, great game. So check it out if you haven't checked it out. And the second thing, I can't reveal it yet, but in about a week, I'm going to be uh, revealing a new thing that I'm working on. So you can find that over on my Twitter when it comes out. Um, but I, I'm very, very excited. So that's a week from when we are recording this, which is September 14th. So whenever <laughs> you hear this, it may already be out and you can go and check my Twitter and see the new project that I'm working on. Um, but I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, it is tabletop related. It's a, it's a game that, uh, you know, I, I haven't been able to to play very much. And so I'm really excited for what that has in store. Awesome. Well, uh, Melly, thank you so much for your time thank and you. being an amazing so guest. And uh, looking forward to having you back on. Heck yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, or you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. And finally, after two years, I've decided to open a Patreon for Sidekicks and Sidequests. If you love this podcast and you want to help us grow and expand our operations, I would appreciate it if you would go on over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Your name on the wall of the levitating platter, a loud hurrah on the podcast, or the possibility to introduce an element of chance to NPC creation. Sidekicks and Psychoists is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four.
Tak, US.